the constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy have precisely the value that they have to in order for there to be any complexity at all in the universe. And it does make you think that a mind might have been involved. How do you disprove Christianity? Well, actually, I thought this has got to be pretty easy because Jesus, in a variety of different ways, made transcendent and messianic and divine claims about himself. Because of the resurrection, he's, he's somebody who has defeated death. He has come through and he's still alive. He is not dead. He doesn't die. He goes on. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Yeah! That's my kid. five reasons why and what this series of five weeks is all about it's compelling reasons to believe in God now there are some of you and you're here as believers and you've been believers for a long time maybe you grew up in church maybe you've come to Bristol in the last week or two and you're keen to continue your Christian faith and it's all good in the hood but there are some of you and you've come here and you don't have a Christian faith. Maybe you were dragged here, you were drugged and brought here. You, uh, you came because you were bribed, they promised you donuts and pizza and all these kinds of things. Whatever reason, you find yourself here but you're not necessarily someone who knows that you believe in God. Maybe you out and out don't believe in God. Maybe you think that it's all just pie in the sky, that it's, it's just wish fulfillment, it's nice religious thinking, but you know that it, it doesn't hold water. You know, sometimes when people talk to me about faith and about Christianity and why they don't believe in Christianity, sometimes they say to me, yeah, but Philip, you don't understand. The thing is, I just don't have your faith. I, I, I'd like to believe it and I can see plenty of advantages. I can see it's a good thing and it makes you feel good. But I just, I don't believe it. I don't have faith. As if in order to become a Christian, you've just got to believe in a bunch of crazy, wacky, way out stuff that has no basis in rational, reasoned thought. Well, this series is all about telling you that's not the case. There are compelling reasons. So if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, if you're on the fence, if you used to have faith, you grew up with faith and you're kind of you're losing the habit because you're now older and wiser and you don't need that childhood stuff anymore... Let me really encourage you to stick with us for the next five weeks because we are going to go on such a journey. We're going to do such investigation. It's going to be so incredible. And what's going to happen, if you stick with this, this is what is going to happen. The things that we talk about and the message of Jesus Christ is going to make more and more and more and more sense. It's going to become more and more compelling for you. The reasons are going to pile up and pile up and pile up until you find yourself absolutely staggered by the amount of compelling, rational, good, common sense, workable arguments for this whole thing. No one wants anybody to believe in something that requires them to check out their brain or to kiss their intellect and their studies goodbye. We all want to have a faith that integrates with the world as we know it, that is rational and reasonable and something that you can depend upon, something that you can stake your life upon. Now, next week, one of the, the five reasons is baptism. So next week, we're going to have baptisms. 
Okay, bigger reaction, please. Next week, we're going to have baptisms. Okay, I tell you that because next week, if you've been to a baptism in Metro, I mean, they're just wild. They are incredible. We'll have the lights, the smoke machine, performing monkeys, you know, the whole thing. And you will literally see humans being dunked in a pool of water in a science museum. It is like the wildest thing. And we let our hair down. We have confetti cannons and uh, we all dance. And it's, it's really hopped up. So next week, come. If you've never seen a baptism with people fully immersed as adults, you, you really, really, trust me on this, you need to come uh, next week. Even if you came here and you, your friend brought you and you think, wow, this place is strange. I mean, they do little kids games and then they all sing happy clappy songs. Listen, even if you're thinking all those thoughts, come back next week because it's going to be amazing. Now, I tell you about the baptism next week because this week, uh, this week is going to be a little bit odd. So if this week doesn't quite mesh with you, give me another chance. Come back to the baptism because it will all be good. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the reason to believe in God. And we're not going to go too much into the Bible. That will come later on. What we're going to do is we're going to look far, far back. We're going to take the big view. We're going to look at the cosmos. We're going to look at universe. We're going to science the living daylights out of things tonight. Now, if you are not into science and if you're not into physics, tonight might be like your worst nightmare. It might be like being back at school. uh, And I apologize for that. Some of you, you're kind of geeking out on the idea of talking about the atoms and all that kind of stuff. You're going to love this. Um, Others, you may be somewhere in the middle. But I think it's important that we think about the world that we live in. Because sometimes people say to me, hey, it's kind of ironic that Metro as a church meets in a science museum because we all know that science and religion do not mix. Actually, that's not true in the slightest. Science and religion, science and faith go together very, very well. In fact, if science doesn't help me in my faith, then there's something wrong with my faith. And so what we're going to look at this evening is we're going to look at uh, some of the science. We're going to get a little bit cosmological, a bit cosmic. Uh, I'm not an expert in this, but I am fairly well read. If I get things wrong and you're an expert here, Come, tell me, talk to me at the end. But we've got people in our church who work um, at the CERN Research Laboratory with the Higgs boson particles and all those kind of things. We've got brilliant brains. We've got very, very smart people in the room. I am not the smartest in the room, but I am going to try and give you stuff in the way that I find the most compelling and easy. So I hope that you can stay with me. Otherwise, just, I don't know, candy crush. So we're going to look at a famous psalm from um, the Bible. And it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And what the Bible says is, look at the world around you. Observe it. Study it. Examine it. Because that will talk to you about God. It will reveal the glory of God to you. Sometimes people say, well, you know, don't pay attention to science and don't pay attention to geology and all those kinds of things or physics or cosmology because that's not important. Faith is important and it has nothing to do with those things. The Bible says, no, on the contrary, 
Look at those things. Observe. Because as you look at the world in which we live, it will actually lead you closer to God. There used to be a time when people thought, well, if we know more and more and more about science, we can squeeze God out. But the Bible says, okay, I dare you. I triple dare you. Look at the world. Examine science. Grow your understanding of the universe and the plane of reality in which we live. And you'll find that God becomes greater in the picture. He doesn't get squeezed out. He becomes more rational and more reasonable. And they say the, the heavens, the stars, the, the, the created order, it has a kind of language. Now we know that that language is called mathematics. And as we begin to understand and decode the language of the stars, mathematics, we begin to understand the level and the nature of the reality in which we live. And so with the enlightenment going through for the last few hundred years, culminating in the 20th century, the greatest kind of expansion of scientific knowledge that we've ever had, guys come up at the very beginning of the 20th century, they begin to decode the language of mathematics, the greatest one, Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein, from about 1907 to 1915, he develops the theory of general relativity. It's a theoretical, mathematical understanding of the universe. Now, it excites people and it challenges people. It inspires them to go and build on his work. And so a few years later, a guy called Georges Lemaitre, in 1927, he comes up and he starts to work out the implications of this mathematics that we've got to get a grip on. And he comes up with this surprising, startling theory. It's a mathematical theory. It's a theoretical theory. But he says, I think the math shows that the universe is expanding. The universe is growing. And people are shocked. People don't pay that much attention to it for two reasons. First of all, he's Belgian and no one listens to the Belgians. Secondly... He's a Catholic priest. What does a Catholic priest know about physics? So two strikes against him. People don't take it seriously. They argue, well, that, that, that can't be true because we don't like where this is going because the prevailing mode of thought up to that point was steady state. Universe is steady. It's fixed. It's always been. It's eternal. We don't need God. We don't need a creator because the universe has never been created. It just is if you have to say that it's been created, then that brings us into questions that we don't know the answers for. But Georges Lemaitre, he says, no, the maths shows that the universe is standing, expanding at a huge rate of knots, which means that if you brought it all back, you can start with a singularity that bursts into life and unimaginable power, the beginning of the universe. And people are skeptical, but then two years later... This guy, Edwin Hubble, comes along and he observes it with his telescope, which is why we now have a Hubble telescope orbiting around us to look into the universe. Because this guy said, no, no, it is true. The redshift effect, the Doppler effect of galaxies moving at incredible speeds away from each other. And they draw it back to this point where there is a singularity. They, they do the maths and they work out 13.8 billion years ago. The universe was contained in a singularity of super condensed matter around about, well, depending on who you speak to, around about the size of this 50p coin. Some say a pinhead. 
But in this super condensed ball of matter, all of reality, all of energy, all of matter is contained 13.8 billion years ago. No one knows where it came from and no one knows why it did what it did next, but it exploded into this incredible cosmic birthing experience where the universe is created. And now suddenly people, as they observe the heavens and observe the sun, the moon, the stars, they're beginning to see, gosh, it looks like there's a creation event that we can't fully explain. Now, not everyone is taken in. So uh, the thing rages. A few years later, Sir Fred Hoyle comes on. There he is, Sir Fred Hoyle, having a bad hair day. 1949, uh, he comes along. He's a, a Yorkshire man, a scientist, brilliant scientist. And he's the one that coins the term the Big Bang. Everyone say the Big Bang. You've heard of the Big Bang Theory? Yeah, sitcom, strange people. Uh, well, this is the guy that, that started the whole thing off. And he called it the Big Bang, even though he didn't agree with it, didn't believe in it, and didn't subscribe to that theory. He just called it the Big Bang because he was great with words. And he had these fantastic turn of phrase. And he was kind of putting them down, this Big Bang. He says, the reason why scientists like the Big Bang is because they are overshadowed by the book of Genesis. And listen to this. It is deep within the psyche of most scientists to believe in the first page of Genesis. In other words, Sir Fred Hoyle is saying, do you know what? If you have a big bang, then you need a big banger. If you have this kind of incredible dramatic start to the universe 13.8 billion years ago, then that makes it look too much like Genesis, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And people, scientists, for many decades had been saying, well, that's crazy. You can't have something out of nothing. The universe has always existed, this steady state. And Fred Hoyle was one of the big steady state guys. And now you have this evidence pointing towards this big bang. And he says, scientists, they just want to believe in Genesis. And that may surprise us because we sometimes think that most scientists are atheists or all scientists are atheists. You can't be a scientist and believe in God. But his experience is this, scientists down the ages, right from the very beginning of the Enlightenment, they've always had a deep, profound love and appreciation for the Bible, for Scripture, for faith in God. Not always Christians, but many, many, many having a faith. So right back to guys like Johann Kepler, who came up with the laws of planetary motion, um, right back in the 16th century, he said, we scientists, we're priests of the Most High God in relation to his book of nature. And we are thinking his thoughts after him. Coming after him, Sir Isaac Newton, who put together the theory and the laws of gravity, he actually wrote more theology than he wrote physics. And he was a famous, strong Christian. And so we have this tradition because the Bible says you can look at the world and you can expect sense, rationality, and reason. When all the other faith systems at the time were saying, it's magic, it's mysterious, it's, we, there is no rationality. No, the Bible says, no, there is order and there is, there is a creator and, there's a, a crea- and, and he is revealing himself. And you can examine and we can use science. And so Fred Hoyle says, scientists are hardwired to believe that kind of stuff. I don't believe in the Big Bang. Well, he was wrong. 1960s, discovery of cosmic microwave background radiation settles it beyond any shadow of a doubt. Now we know that the universe is indeed expanding, that it has started from a singularity at a single point in time. 
And so Fred Hoyle is a famous atheist, but here's the funny thing. He continues his studies. He's working on how matter is generated in stars. And uh, he comes across this stuff, and he begins to develop a new understanding, a whole new branch of physics. He's the one that pioneers it with another bunch of of people in Cambridge. And he begins to, to stumble upon some stuff, and he makes a certain discovery. And he writes, and he says, my atheism was greatly shaken by what I discovered. Because he discovered these things called universal constants, which is what you heard in the trailer at the beginning. He says this, a common sense interpretation of the facts, so the facts that he discovered about the nature of reality, the nature of the universe, suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics, as well as with chemistry and biology. The facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. So just to help us understand what he's talking about, we need to turn to another theoretical physicist, which is this one here, Goldilocks. So you all know the story of Goldilocks, right? Okay, you know the story about Goldilocks, so say that with me. So Goldilocks, she's a, a, a naughty white girl. She breaks into a house of these kind of innocent bears, and uh, mummy bear, daddy bear, baby bear, and it's tragic for the baby bears because they've just been, you know, it's like a burglary. And uh, she breaks in, and there's porridge on the table. She takes mummy's porridge, daddy's porridge, the baby's porridge, and, and, and daddy's porridge is, ooh, too hot. And mummy's porridge is, ooh, too cold. But baby's porridge is just right. And then she has to sit on a chair, but daddy's Daddy bear's chair is too hard. Mummy bear's chair is too soft. Baby bear's chair is just right. So she sits on it, but it's not strong enough, and she breaks the chair. And then she has to find the bed, and one bed's too tall, one bed's too short, and one bed is just right. So she sleeps in the bed, baby bear comes back, and it's like totally ticked off, and it's a horrible story. But the idea is you can have something that is just right, not too hot, not too cold, but just right. And actually, Goldilocks is really good for this because it it shows you that it's not just one thing being too hot or too cold, but just right, but an interplay of things. So the chair, you remember the chair? She sits on the chair. It's not too hard, not too soft. It's just right. But there's another thing at play where it's not strong enough and it breaks. So it's not just one thing that you need to get right with the chair. It's two things that you need to get right with the chair. So ideally, she'd have a chair that was not too weak, not too strong, but just right. As well as not too hard, not too soft, just right. Not too tall, not too short, just right. Well, our universe is like that. It's full of things, requirements, constants, universal things that just need to be just right. Not too big, not too small, just right. And it is this thing called the force. You know the force? It's uh, an electrical field generated by all living things. It surrounds us. It, it permeates us. It binds the galaxy together. Okay, the force? No, not the force. That's just to check that you're still with me. But it is four fundamental forces. So if we look at the four fundamental forces... And there's others, but these are kind of, they're known as the four fundamental forces or the four fundamental interactions. Gravitational force, electromagnetic force, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force. Now the thing is, that when sciences have begun to dig in and peel back the layers of reality, discover how our world works, what makes the universe tick, 
we discover that these things have very, very precise measurements. They are constants. And they are constants that are incredibly finely tuned, as if some super intellect has been monkeying with the physics to make it just right. Not too big, not too small, just right. Let me breeze through some of these. If you take gravity, with gravity, the gravitational force, if I take my coin, here's my 50p coin, it's gravity. That gravity made that coin drop at that particular rate, in that particular way. Now, it may surprise you to know that gravity is actually the weakest of all these uh, universal, fundamental forces. But if the universal force of gravity, that gravitational constant, was a little bit too high, the stars in the universe would burn too hot. They'd become unstable. Our own sun would become a red giant by now. There'd be no life in the universe. But if the gravitational constant was a little bit too cold, then those stars, too small, the stars would be too cold to make nuclear fusion happen. So no elements get created. There's no universe that happens. Gravity has to be just right. Not too big, not too small, just right. And not in kind of like, well, 1% out, 1% or out plus or minus, not one in a thousand, not one in a hundred, but a fraction of 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 a... I'll tell you more about this as we go on. But if we look at the electromagnetic force. Now, the electromagnetic force, it's the electrostatic force that helps balloons stick to your jumper at Christmas. And magnetism that uh, draws you to one another. No. Um, that's quite good. Uh, the electromagnetic force. Now, if the electromagnetic force was a little bit too big, then chemical bonding would be totally disrupted. And any element bigger than boron just wouldn't exist. Now, if the electromagnetic constant, that was a little bit fractionally, 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 fractionally smaller, then again, chemical bonding is insufficient and there's no elements in the universe. You take the strong nuclear force. The strong nuclear force is the thing that holds the nucleus together. Protons and neutrons allows them to stick together even though they should be repelling themselves. Strong nuclear force. Well, it's precisely calibrated to a particular uh, level. So if it's too strong, there would be no hydrogen produced in the universe. If it's slightly too small then there would be no elements bigger or heavier than hydrogen released in the universe. Do you begin to see what I'm saying? And these things, they have to be exactly right for themselves, but they're all held in harmony, in tension. They're, they're, they're interacting with one another, like the chair. It's got to be not too hard, not too soft, but also strong enough, not too weak, just right. And all these things come together with minuscule room for manoeuvre. And then the weak uh, nuclear force, that's to do with kind of radioactive decay. Now, if there's the weak nuclear force had been just a little bit too much, then there'd be too much helium produced by stars, and we, would just, we wouldn't be able to have complex elements. With a little bit less weak nuclear force, there's just too little helium, and you can't have any kind of heavy elements uh, created in stars, in supernovas, as, as elements are created and, and put into the universe. 
And when people begin to see these things, now, I've given you four universal constants, four kind of fundamental forces, four fundamental interactions. Some physicists today will say that there's actually 47 of these constants. 47 that we discover. Some say more, some say less, but it's like the speed of light. Do you ever wonder why the speed of light is what it is, 186,000 meters per second or whatever it is? Uh, You've got Planck's constant. You've got all these different things. And if you're into this stuff, then you can read about it. It is fascinating, fascinating, fascinating stuff. And it makes it look like our universe is this vast, incredible coincidence. And when I said you had to get the numbers just right, I mean this. They've got to be right to within 1 to the power 10 to the 40, 40th power. So not a hundredth, not a thousandth, not a millionth, but one part in 10 with 40 noughts after it. A number that is so unimaginable, just every single one. Some, the properties, the proportions are a little bit bigger, some a little bit less, but they're more or less around about that level. And they've all got to interact and intersect with one another. Now, you're not getting this, and I can tell I'm getting a lot of blank faces looking up at me. Let me show you again my coin. This is my coin, 50p. And uh, I'll give this to the lucky winner at the end. But if I call heads, I've got a chance, one in two, of getting heads. So that's a one in two chance. If I get heads again, second time running, that's one in four, right? Third time, it is one in, one in eight. Uh, next, one in, okay, next, 32, very good. Let's see how far we can go with this. 64, okay, now it gets hard. Yeah, just say whatever the, everyone else says. 250, very good, okay, who's doing maths here? All the art students are going, what, hey? I like the picture of Goldilocks. <laughs> okay, so imagine that I get heads and I do it 10 billion times 10 billion times. The odds of me getting 10 billion billion heads in a row is the odds of our universe existing by random chance. The more we look, at the world, the bigger God becomes. The more we investigate the very nature, the very fabric of reality, the more we get pointed towards God, the more compelling the case comes. And so the guy on the trailer, uh, Francis Collins, he's the guy that headed up the, the Human Genome Project, famous atheist who came to faith because he said, the more I looked at the maths and the more I looked at the physics, the more I became compelled and convinced that there must be a God. This is a rational thing to believe in. And I've just talked about the universe. I haven't even talked about our planet. If you factor in our planet, again, it's a miracle within a miracle. We've got a miraculous inexplicable, stupendous, infinitesimally improbable universe, and we've got an incredible miracle human planet 
on it. Is this a planet with the sun just at the right length, distance away, so that we have liquid water? We've got a moon just the right size, just the right distance, so that we have tides that allow us to have the formation of life. We have a liquid core, which makes us have this magnetic field that it creates that keeps ultraviolet, um, rather, the solar radiation off us. We've got the ozone layer that keeps the UV radiation off us. We're tilted at just exactly the right level so that we can have day and night in just the perfect timing. And we have seasons. So, hey, guess what we get? Agriculture. Because it's just right. It's a Goldilocks planet. We have... We have an atmosphere that allows us to breathe, plants to photosynthesize. We have a gas giant, Jupiter, thank you very much. Just the right size, just the right placement to gravitationally hoover up all the asteroids and meteorites that would otherwise pulverize us apart from just let through the perfect asteroid at the perfect time, the perfect size to wipe out the dinosaurs because they were going on for millions of years. We couldn't do nothing because it was Jurassic Park. But the asteroid comes, it's just big enough to kill the dinosaurs, not too big to destroy the planet. We've still got plants. We kind of emerge and like, hey, okay, we can get on with this whole evolution thing. So we have this unbelievable, incredible, wondrous world. You factor all these things in. And if you don't believe in God, well, you can ask yourself some questions. If you're here and you thought, well, I'm not going to become a Christian because I, I don't believe it. I'm just not one of those people with faith. Well, you've got some tough, tough, tough questions to answer. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Okay, this is your first way of explaining it. It's the accordion universe. Okay, so the accordion universe goes in and out. That's Matt Miles in 10 years. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's harsh. He does kind of look like him there. Um, you got this big bang and the universe expands. And then, because of gravity, it starts to suck everything back in again. And gravity pulls the universe back in and the big crunch, we're back down to the 50p singularity and then it bangs again and off it goes. And it's an accordion going in, out, in, out, in, out. Well, that can happen. And if it happens billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of times to walls of billions and billions and billions and billions of billions of years, 20 billion for this universe, 20 billion for that universe, 20 billion for the next universe, on and on through unimaginable eternity. Well, eventually, one in a gazillion universes is going to be just right. You get the heads. It's, it's got to be theoretically possible. If, you have enough, you know, if you've got eternity, then the universe can expand, shrink, expand, shrink, expand, shrink, and eventually, and we just happen to be in it. We don't know that there's been billions and billions and billions of universes before us. The according universe. Ah, wrong. Because, again, science, man, you find out that there's just not enough mass in the universe for it to crunch back down on itself. Gravity's not that strong. In fact, we find that the universe is accelerating away from itself, and so we've had to posit dark matter, dark energy. Can't see it, can't feel it, can't taste it. Just have to do the maths. It must be there, but it's making the whole thing expand. This thing's not coming back on itself anytime soon. The accordion universe is out. It's out. Sorry. You've got one last 
chance, and that is multiple universes. Everyone say multiple universes. Okay, multiple universes, which means there's a universe in which Clark Kent lands in Russia and becomes Russian Superman fighting for truth and justice in the Soviet way. And uh, there's a kind of infinite number of universes, and they're all parallel to one another. And uh, there's mad universes and bizarre universes. There's universes with no helium, universes with too much boron and all that kind of stuff. And then out of the millions and billions and infinite number of universes, there's one that's just right. And we live in that universe. Yay! We lucked out. Okay. If you want to believe that, you can believe that. And a lot of the scientific community believe that. But you know what? It's not falsifiable. Uh, And science is supposed to be falsifiable. If you put a theory out there, someone's supposed to be able to disprove it. No one can disprove parallel universes because they're outside of our realm of reality. And it is just an act of faith. So we are left with this other option, the creator. And the Bible says, the more you look at the world, the more that you look at reality, the more that you study, the more that you use that big brain that God gave you, the more it turns you towards God. And there's no voice or language where this stuff isn't heard or perceived. This is not a Western thing. This is not about intelligence. I mean, you can have science, but you can also look at it with the eyes of a poet or an artist. And you can look at a sunset and you can look at the Taj Mahal and you can look, I don't know, at the, 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 the Grand Canyon and all the wonders of the world. You can look in the eyes of a newborn child. And something inside you says, Where did it come from? And having a creator makes perfect sense. And that's why the big secret, the big kind of guilty secret about so many scientists is that their science and their understanding leads them towards a belief that maybe, just maybe, there is a God out there. And the Bible says that the heavens declare not just the existence of God, but the glory of God. Because ancient man had no idea how vast the universe really is and how great that means that God must be. And when we experience the glory of God as revealed through science and through our investigation of the natural world, it makes us think that God is glorious and God is amazing. And when we put that into the lens that the Bible gives us, that this vast, unimaginable superintellect came down into human form and loved us. And the Bible says, he is love, he's love. He made us in love, he sustains us in love, he created us in love. He became a human, he became fragile and frail. He allowed himself to be hammered into splintery wood for our sakes. That's the glory of God. I'm going to finish in just a moment. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Because I think, we haven't had too much Bible this evening, but I think it makes you glorify God. When we look at the heavens, there's a a famous psalm that says, when I look at the heavens, it, it makes me just lose my mind. And actually, Buzz Aldrin, when he went on the Apollo 11 moon landing, 1969, and that moon, lunar lander, when it landed on the moon, you may not know this, some of you know, Buzz Aldrin, he's he's written about this and he's spoken about it, but a profound 
man of faith, an elder in his church. He got his priest to give him a special little capsule of wine and a little piece of bread. And he had communion on the moon. And when you read his book, he talks about the wine sloshing around in the cup, a sixth of gravity, and just beautifully kind of curling around the edges of the cup. And he takes communion. And as he comes back down in the lunar landing, he reads from this psalm. He says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man? What is mankind? What are we that you care for us, that you're so gracious to us, that you're so kind to us? We're nothing in the grand scheme of things, and yet you've elevated us. And there's a vast universe that you've made for us as a playground, the glory of God. So this is where we get to. This is our first reason. It's just a brief whistle-stop tour, but I hope it at least provokes thought in you. And if you're someone that is not a person of faith, I hope that you come back. In fact, I hope that you come back with your friend. I hope you come back to prove me wrong. I hope you come back, but I hope that you come back thinking, do you know what? I'm not convinced. I'm not sure. I don't believe, but it makes you think. And we're going to give you more and more reasons. And we are going to actually look at mankind. We're going to look. We haven't given you any philosophical arguments. We're going to just focus on the evidence. We're going to focus on history. We're going to focus on what you can measure, what you can investigate, what you can have confidence in. We're going to go through some amazing stuff. But next week, we're going to baptize people. And they're going to tell their story of coming to faith and finding God. And that thing where it's not just out there theory, but it's in here, reality. It's an amazing thing to do. But this is our big idea for the week. The heavens declare the glory of God. And observing the natural world helps point us towards the creator. Next week, baptism. After that, we're going to look at Jesus. And you're going to see some amazing things that you never knew. After that, I'm going to give you the single biggest game-changing argument. And it is going to blow your hat off. For some of you that are Christians, it's going to so encourage you. You're going to go out of this place ten times more confident in your faith. And for some of you that aren't Christians or you're coming back to faith, it's going to be like, yeah, my goodness, I need to do some investigation. Some of you, you want more. Wednesday, we start Alpha. We'll tell you more about that. But that's a whole ten weeks to investigate and explore the Christian faith. But I'd like us just to, uh, to pray right now, and then the band are going to come and we finish our evening with worship. But let's pray, and let's ask that this God has revealed himself in all of creation, would reveal himself to us on an individual level. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you that we can have a world that makes sense. I thank you we can have maths, we can have physics and chemistry, biology, we can have the arts, and we can have music, and we, we can experience and interact with our world in such a variety of ways. And I thank you that it, it points us towards you if we will but take the time to look. And I pray, Lord God, particularly for those of us that are not sure about faith tonight, I want to pray that you'd help us, that we would legitimately, genuinely embark on a spiritual journey. Of faith, And I want to pray, Lord God, that there be people that bring friends next time and that we're able just to share this incredibly exciting, revelatory message with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.